Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do science and religion ever agree on anything? Why do so many people insist that science and religion are in competition? Can separating them impede our ability to answer life's biggest questions? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 389th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those high-quality questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we welcome our guest tonight, let's uh, pick up on our contest question from two weeks ago, which we're still catching up on the contest question, so bear with us. So the question was, in what U.S. state and county did the so-called Bell Witch incidents occur? Well, the first to get that one right was Mike Page of Springfield, Massachusetts, and the answer, Robertson County, Tennessee. All right, so this week's question is, in what country in 2010 was air traffic rerouted because of an alleged UFO hovering over a regional airport? Well, that was actually pretty, yeah, that was really recent. I do remember that. Um, Get that right and win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic, my dad's most popular book. And we do welcome callers this evening, and so numbers locally or from Canada are 401-766-1240. Again, that's 401-766-1240. Or from anywhere in the United States, 401... Oh, no, it's 800. Four, four, that's, oh, a, that's a mis- misprint. You, oh, you need to take out that 4. That's 800... What? 449-1240. Again, that's 800-449-1240. Daniel Friedman is an engineering physicist and the CEO of MDA, an aerospace company in Canada, which, among other things, specializes in robotics used aboard the International Space Station. He has a master's degree in engineering physics and 30 years' experience in the space industry. He has published more than 20 peer-reviewed scientific papers on space industry topics. He is also a long-time student of cosmology and religion and the author of The Genesis One Code. Daniel's website is, <coughs> well, there are two websites here, genesisonecode.com, also danielfriedmanbooks.com. Friedman has two ends, not like Stan Friedman. Daniel Friedman with two ends. Okay. <laughs> All right. Daniel Friedman, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's uh, kick this show off properly, shall we? Uh, tell us about this new study that says science and religion coexist uh, pretty well in most people's minds. Yeah, that was uh, very surprising to me. I, I I didn't do the study, of course, but I read about it. And uh, what the study is showing from surveys is that most of us uh, put the two disciplines together in our mind when trying to answer questions like where we came from rather than what you would be led to believe from the experts, which are always on one side of the argument or the other. And, uh, and interestingly enough, it says, that as we get older, we do that even more. So as we get more knowledge, uh, we put the two pieces together as we go forward. So I, th- I thought that was very interesting, given that's what my book does. So would you say that science, religion, and the paranormal coexist pretty much in the same, uh, or pretty well in most people's minds today? That's what the study is showing. Even the paranormal? Uh, it, including paranormal, yeah. It really? talks okay. about, uh, um, I have the... Uh, yeah, it, it it wasn't just science and religion. I, of course, uh, focused on that, but it talked about witchcraft, for example. Really? Okay. And uh, evil spirits and so on when it comes to medical or disease or things like that. But when it came to origins, where we came from, 
it was science and religion that coexisted. When it came to other things, like uh, getting better or getting diseases, it was other things that coexisted in their minds, scientific and, and, and paranormal. That's correct. Would you say the paranormal is more aligned with science over religion, or is it in a case-by-case basis? Or is it a class by itself? Uh, you know, you are the experts on this, not, not me. I have enough trouble with science and religion, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a class by itself, but I think they all have some overlapping, so it's hard to separate them. Yeah. Uh, why is there any conflict between science and religion at all? Well, as far as I can tell, the, the, you know, this, this, the famous, uh, origins debate or, um, uh, creation evolution controversy that is known now originated a couple of hundred years ago. And it, it originated because geologists went out there and started doing their thing, and they kind of came back and said, you know, we think the Earth is quite a bit older than you would think from the Bible. And, and we have a mismatch of timelines here. And, of course, today we know that the universe is 13.7 billion years old, and a straightforward reading of the Bible says that it was all done in six days, 6,000 years ago, a little less than 6,000 years ago. So we have this huge conflict over what happened and when it happened, and and that has kind of put people in one camp or the other, and of course you go from the what and when to the how, which is uh, divinely done or naturalistic means like evolution, and and that's what has kind of put both sides at, at odds with each other in the presidential election, in the, in the schools in the U.S., uh, all over the place, it's a, it's a significant argument. Yeah, you can see how it happened, but I don't know. We've never seen. Well, I can speak for myself in you know forty odd years of research in this, and then Ben uh, more recently. Uh, we've never really seen any conflict between science and religion at all, because over the years it seems to be a false construct. I th- from what you said, I think you agree. Um, over the years, we've come to question the entire basis of Western epistemology. Epistemology, you know. For those who don't know uh, what we know and how we know it, uh, we don't believe that we know anything for certain with our minds anyway, and we believe that the human paranormal experience is the mother, so to speak, of both science and religion. Had there been no mysteries to answer or, or to, to tweak our curiosity, there wouldn't have been any science or religion, I wouldn't think. I'm, I'm speaking, of course, about our remotest ancestors. So... Um, uh, anyway, I just wanted to see what you think of these ideas. Well, you know, definitely, I I agree with you that the the conflict uh, between science and religion is is misplaced. That it's it's either side not understanding how the other side works. Yeah. Um, but it has to be brought together. It can't just be left that you know one of the answers is well, science deals with certain things and religion deals with certain uh, deals with other things. That's not a satisfying answer either. We need to put the two together. Um, so that's that's the challenge. Okay. Now, human nature makes itself felt in all human endeavors, uh, no matter how objective we like to consider ourselves, and that includes science, religion, and the paranormal, and there are politics in all three. Now, in your studies, uh, Daniel, how, how much does the conflict, we might agree contrived conflict, between science and religion have to do with our personal experiences in life? In other words, a scientist's inner rebellion against a strict religious upbringing, I've, met, I've run into that. Or a staunch believer's inner rebellion against academic discipline, I've run into that. What say you about that? How much does our personal 
uh, do our personal proclivities have to do with our opinions on these matters? Uh, I think there's a, a, a fair amount uh, of that, but I, I think the problem starts, you know, in an, in an honest fashion about about people looking at, uh, say, the sun and saying, you know, the Bible says the sun's 6,000 years old and um, and we know today that it's 4.5 billion years old from science. And I, I just can't reconcile uh, those issues. That's kind of an honest, everyday, normal person going to Sunday school and going to science class or a scientist or a theologian. And then somehow that gets pulled up by society uh, for all of these uh, kind of human nature reasons to push an agenda or another agenda. Uh, but the, I think the questions are pretty straightforward and pretty pretty simple but complicated um, that people have been trying to answer, um, by and large, I think, in good faith. Are people asking the wrong questions on both sides of the issue? Well, you know, my my uh, my uh, my approach has been yes that, that that they're very focused on how everything happened was it natural or was it divine and uh, we'll never agree on that if we don't even agree on what happened uh, you know somebody's saying six thousand years and somebody else is saying billions of years how can we even start the discussion so I tried to get away from the how and just say can we agree on what happened and when it happened and if we do, then does that shed some light on the how? And interestingly enough, it really did such a, shed some light on the how. Maybe a few. Th- I, well, in, in my opinion, I'm, I don't know if my dad shares the same opinion or not, but we think that, or I think at least, that our science is, or well, the way that we do our science and our methods are very old and need to be changed. Do you agree with that? You know, I. I, I it depends what you're trying. Uh, to do, I mean, obviously our science is serving us incredibly well. The advances are, are pretty spectacular. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it isn't. I, I mean, yeah. well, I don't know if I'd say that it, that it is, but go ahead and finish your question. Well, just well, for example, just recently there were two American scientists that were just awarded Nobel Prize for um, finding. Oh, what was it? I just I just wrote a paper on this. Yeah, you know, the physics prize. Read. No, no, no. Was, or economics. It was it was chemistry. Chemistry. Okay. It was chemistry. Yeah, they discovered um, how cells communicate with each other and how that'll actually create um, or will it'll design better medicines. And I think that's great. I but there's just it's only, you can only go so far with um, with materialistic science. Yeah, I mean, it, Newtonian physics is great and all. I mean, it can get you to the moon, it can build a bridge, but it can't really describe how the universe was created. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and this is exactly the, the issue. You know, where, frankly, when I uh, when I went uh, to school, and I'm a lot closer to your dad's age than your age, but <laughs> you know, when I went to school, that's what science was about. You went to science got to figure out how to build a bridge mm. or how to go to the moon. You didn't go to science to figure out where we came from, like it seems mm. now is taught in school. So science is very good at those things. Uh, it's not so good at the fundamental questions. That that I don't think it it can completely handle us. I'm sure you've discussed many times in your programs. Oh yes, absolutely. Defining reality. Yeah, can we handle how reality is actually defined? Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, now we're getting into non-materiality. Probably the closest that we've come is perhaps quantum physics. Um, and I kind of discovered that in the late seventies, and but even then, it's applied still applied it to the paranormal research and all. Well, sorts it depends. Of even then, by that. some some communities, it's still considered like a pseudoscience because you can't test it. 
or well, repeat tests well, or well, whatever. What, what does Daniel say? I mean, is is uh, quantum physics still considered a pseudoscience, or is it? Has no, it been no, no. It's, it's a totally mainstream science, and it it can be tested, but some of the things it says don't make logical sense to a scientist. Right, right. And right. um, you know, just in the last couple of, we, we already knew that particles could become entangled in space, which meant that one particle could affect another particle very far away, much uh, much faster than the speed of light, instantaneously. We now know that those particles can become entangled in time. Uh, so it's almost the definition of God, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. there's no time and there's no space. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, so science is leading us to very strange uh, answers at, at that level. It seems that science and religion have been coming closer together in spite of themselves, perhaps over the past 20 years, at least to me. What say you? Well, in, in, in some ways they've come closer and in some ways they've gone further apart. Huh. They've, they've come closer in some basic concepts, like, you know, the Bible is clear that there was a beginning. In fact, it starts with in the beginning. And until the Big Bang Theory, science wasn't convinced there was a beginning. There was all kinds of other models for the universe. And to some extent, we're going back to some of those models today with multi-universes. But for a long time, when the Big Bang, and there was one universe and it was the Big Bang, it fit pretty nicely with um, with religion. In fact, uh, I forget who the Pope was in the 1950s, but he said, boy, this is pretty close. Well, Pius XII, probably. Right. Yeah. And uh, so in that sense, it's becoming closer. But, but if you actually look at, uh, especially in the United States, the the uh, religious uh, right has gone back to a literal interpretation of the Bible with six days, and that, of course, doesn't match uh, any of the science in terms of what happened and when it happened. And that group is almost half the population. Uh, oh, half the population of the United States? Of I mean, the United States, yeah. I, 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 might, I might dispute you on that. Um, that's, a, of, that's a survey. That's not my answer. That's a survey. Well, if you trust those. Well, I sort of did my own survey over the past okay. decades for my last book. And uh, it, I found really that people, and this is pretty global in the sense that people tend not to understand the teachings of their own religions, whether it be in Christianity or even That's Judaism. True. Judaism That's is true. probably probably the best of the lot in that sense, um, because, because the teachings are so clear. Uh, even among Muslims and, and uh, you name it, Hindus, I mean, there, there are different understandings. People essentially stand alone with God. Not alone, but you know, it's it's kind of them yeah, and yeah, God. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. and so um, w- whether uh, even any of these surveys, whether they can uh, um, really capture what's really happening is another issue. But but that's not what we're talking about. Um, did you, when you researched Genesis, do so in Hebrew? I, I definitely needed to uh, to look at the Hebrew letters because you know one of the things that that uh, that. Not a lot of people are aware of, but the Hebrew language is words as we know them, uh, so you can read it as we would read English. But it's also math, so each of those letters has a numerical value, and each word has a numerical value, and each sentence has a numerical value, and you can use these numerical values as part of the interpretation. Well, that's what I wanted to get into this code, but before that, I specifically... Was I found a, uh, a Hebrew course. Now, when I was in the seminary for 10 years, we learned Latin and Greek, but not Hebrew, which mystified me. How can <laughs> you amazing. understand 
the Bible without knowing, you know, half of it, in, in, and certainly the Hebrew Bible is in Hebrew. Right. So I specifically went to uh, Temple Bethel in Providence, where, the, where they ran a course. Essentially, its purpose was so people could get through the prayer book. And there were a okay. couple of Gentiles in there, myself and another guy. We're the only ones who stuck through the whole course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were, you know, a lot of, um, very nice elderly ladies who wanted to, you know, just brush up on how to read the prayer book. But we, we kind of really stuck with it. And, uh, they were terrific. And, uh, I learned enough, and this is many years ago, to, to get through Genesis in Hebrew. And, and, and it just, it really, was an eye opener, and the same thing reading, reading the New Testament in Greek. It it doesn't. The English translations are just awful. And well, yeah, I mean, especially the the Old Testament goes from English from Hebrew to Greek to English. Sure, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then then Mark, the New Testament was written in Aramaic, so that they uh, that I've never learned. So, but uh, and I'm no expert in, it, and I'm really rusty because I don't use it very often now, except you know when in doing a little bit of research now and then. But in any case, it just it really struck me that you know are we are the concepts being carried over in other languages? Especially no, they're not. They're not. You know, well, it's it's just, a big part of my discovery. Yeah, so, so tell us more about what you found in, the, in that regard. Well, you know, ju- just simple things like the word God or Lord or King, these are all names, specific names of God in Hebrew that are translated to these words that we associate with with other things like Lord, I'm not exactly sure what that means to most people's minds. But these are were, these are these are names which characterize the aspect of God that is narrating that part of the story. So, you know, if you interview me as an engineer, you'll get a fairly rational response out of me. If you interview me as a dad, you'll get a little less rational response. Mm-hmm. And so, those are my my titles. I can be a dad. I can be an engineer. I can be a husband. Uh, I can be a mountain climber. And depending on what mode I'm in, I'm, I'm quite different and I'm using kind of different faculties and, I'm, and, and so on. So these names of God are not passed on in the translation very well. And in fact, uh, I found them to be the key to understanding a bit of the how on the, on the Genesis side. And specifically when it relates to whether science will and will not understand. I mean, we're, we are told in Genesis which parts science will understand, and that's, that's part of my discovery, and which part science will not understand, and it actually correlates to what we understand and what we don't understand, which is fascinating in itself. Yeah, it is, absolutely. Uh, now, we're at a bit of a loss here. We, we uh, have not had a chance to read your book because we literally came into the station today, and the book had arrived just today in our inbox. Mm-hmm. So we're at a bit of a... Um, uh, of a loss here, but could you explain the title, the Genesis One Code? What what is that okay. leading into? Okay, so let let me give you a, a two minute overview of the book, which kind of what the, the title will come out of it. So the the approach in the book is that we have peer reviewed science that basically tells us what happened and when it happened. You know, this is when the universe was started. This is how old the universe is. This is when the sun came to be. This is when life came to be. This is when the dinosaurs were around. I'm leaving the how out. Science has, has an explanation for how, but just, just what and when. It has a timeline. You can look it up in Wikipedia. This is what happened at every point in history. And if you read the first chapter of Genesis, we have a timeline too. It says on day one, this happened. On day two, this happened. On day three, this happened. Okay. We have these timelines. So we also have a concept in Judaism that the Bible preceded creation, that is actually the blueprint of creation. Um, so... You know, I, I look at the blueprint for my home, and it doesn't look anything like my home. I can get 
pretty confused pretty quickly until I find the scale. The bottom right-hand corner, it says one inch equals eight feet. As soon as I find that and I can say, okay, those two inches are really 16 feet, now I can see how it all fits together. Um, so I went looking for the scale because if the Bible is the blueprint and it's telling us how the, how the world was made, that the sun was made in day four, well, what does that really mean? Like, what is a creation day? And, and what I found was a very, very simple, from the scriptures, conversion or scale, which is what I call the code, to convert from creation days to time as we would measure in science. And, of course, this concept today is pretty straightforward because we all know about Einstein's theory of relativity that time is relative to different observers depending on what they're doing. So it's not sure. surprising that in the Bible we might have two or three time scales. I think we have three time scales in the, in the Bible depending on who's talking, Adam or God, and so on. And, and what I found was that one creation day is 1,000 times 7,000 times 365. The 365, of course, is the number of days in the year to just convert the units, but it's really very simple, 1,000 times 7,000 times 365. And when I applied that code to every event in Genesis, and I ended up with 20 events extracted from Genesis all the way from the age of the universe, the age of the sun, the first life, first marine life, first land life, uh, first plants. When I applied that simple formula, just those, those three factors multiplied to those events, they match perfectly, except for one exception, with what we know in science today. So the age of the universe came exactly to 13.74 billion years. Really? Yeah. This is all it's new for to me. I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing. Has anyone you know? else uh, stumbled on anything like this before? I know there are all sorts of people with codes and... You know, stuff you can do with any book. I, I don't know. Uh, is this is this the first time? Are you the, the pioneer here? To, to my knowledge, yes. There, there is an approach to interpret the days of creation as epochs of time. Um, but nobody has derived the conversion factor from the scriptures. I mean, for the blueprint to be authentic, I have to find the scale inside the blueprint. I can't just go measure the wor wor my house and then measure the blueprint and see how to make it all fit. It has to, if the blueprint preceded the house, it better have the scale in it. So I went looking for the scale, and then I plugged it in, and, and you know, it's, it's impossible. A number like 1,000 and 7,000 doesn't have any decimal places. You can't fudge anything. It, it either fits or it doesn't, and then it fits 19 of 20 events within measurement error in science. Is, is just astonishing. Now, some of them require some interpretation, and people would argue that, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but some of them are very straightforward. You know, it, it, the Bible is very clear about the age of the universe, about the sun, about first life, first plants. There's about six or seven element, uh, uh, things that you just can't not interpret the, the way everybody interprets it. And, and they come out exactly. First life in the oceans, 3.52 billion years ago. That's what the fossils show. Cambrian explosion, 500... 520 million years ago, that's, that's what it shows. Well, interpretation is everything. You know, so, so the, the question might be, how do you know this is an accurate system? Well, you know, I, I take very straightforward reading uh, of, of, of the Bible. It, you know, it says in the beginning, and it counts six days, and then it counts 500, 500 773 years since then. And I apply my conversion factor. And it works up to 13.74 uh, billion years. I take the beginning of day five where it says, uh, let the waters team, which is the first 
uh, life, microscopic life in the oceans, and you count backwards from today because that's the way science does it, so I do it the same way. It's 3.52 billion years ago, and that's when the first fossils are there. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, um, you've really, yeah, you really might be onto something here. I mean, if I'm looking back at my own studies of Genesis, the uh, the narrative can be, depending on how you interpret it, quite different. Now, the, the trouble with Hebrew is, of course, uh, ancient Hebrew particularly. Uh, I mean, today you have accent marks. I mean, then you had no vowels, nor did any other Semitic language that I know of, and all the words were run together. The words weren't divided. So right. it can drive you crazy just trying to read it. Yeah. Never mind interpret it. So, yeah. uh, um, how did you deal with that problem? Well, you know, we, we, uh, th- there is a concept that you, you can, any legal structure of those words run together works and you, you end up with different interpretations based on that. But exactly. There is, a, there is a simple, straightforward interpretation, which is, of course, what we read in the translations yeah, and, yeah, that's and, and what we read in the Hebrew. Upon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what we read on Hebrew and, and, and what people agree upon. And, uh, and I, I took, I, I, I decided that there was no way I could be half as smart as any of the theologians that had come before or the scientists. So I just took what the theologians think happened, what the scientists think happened, and the, the new contribution was to multiply things by 1,000, 7,000, 365. And you get this alignment to the decimal place. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to pause and take a break. Can we do that? Okay, yeah, sure. All right. Take a break. All right. And uh, we are, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And if you're stuck in traffic in Boston or Providence, hold on. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Daniel Friedman and the Genesis One Code. Stay with us. Hello, everyone. My name is Bill Bruno, and I would like you to join me and my friends every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4, because the oldies are back on WOON. The Memory Lane Show, every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4. Tell your friends that the oldies are back on WOON. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. And we wanted to tell you about Amazon Kindle Fire. And now it's coming in several flavors. There's Amazon Kindle Fire HD, the ultimate HD experience, and Kindle Paperwhite, the most world's most advanced e-reader with built-in light even. And you can get these, the Amazon Kindle starting as low as $79 all the way up to the large format one with a 4G LTE for $499. All depends on what you want. And you can, of course, get all sorts of books on this, uh, on this device. Of course, the reader, including four of my books. And uh, I always drag the poor unsuspecting guest into the commercial here. Daniel, is your is the Genesis One code available on Kindle? Absolutely. Very good. So Genesis One code, go right for it. And we just uh, suggest that you check that out. Amazon.com, uh, Staples has them, and a few other outlets. Check it out. Amazon Kindle, marvelous investment, marvelous gift uh, for any occasion. Okay, let's go back to our guest here. And uh, now I wanted to uh, to to. Introduce the fly in the ointment here, Daniel. Okay, <laughs> and uh, this comes up on our show all the time, as you can imagine. And we have some uh, eminent people who believe it, and that is the alleged alien interference in the remote past of the human race, uh, even to the point of gene- genetic engineering or this sort of thing. When I was researching Genesis, there. 
it, it really, I, I thought I was going to have to go and get an aspirin because several times because translations could it could be relatively valid that say things like Eden or Ekden was an agricultural colony of somebody, and um, when you match it up with the um, contemporary documents such as the Atrahasis of the Akkadians or the Karsag epics of the Sumerians, which are parallel creation stories, you get a lot of weird things that might not be God at all, or at least not as we understand it. Uh, but certainly science, as we perhaps don't understand it. There's a reference in the Kasag epics of Nin Kasag, the mother goddess of the Sumerians, taking what we to- saliva and blood, what we today would, would interpret right off the bat as DNA material, and using it to change the native creatures, which were supposed, I guess, proto-humans or Cro-Magnons or whatever, what have you, and turn them into some kind of a race that would assist on the agricultural plantation, even slaves. Um, this is what it says, you know, with the divine imagery removed. So I don't know. You tell me. I mean, what, what if <laughs> have you picked up anything like that in any of this code? I mean, obviously you're just looking for the times of events. But has any uh, any hint of this uh, come up in your research? Because people are talking about it. Yeah, I know. I went to, I went further than the times of the events. I mean, once once the events were matched, I then said, well, um, what what is the Bible to, you know, keep aside whether it was aliens or God or whatever, but aside for a minute, we have a book. Uh, what does the Bible say it was natural versus supernatural? And the Bible does tell us that because it there are, there are, there are most of the events in Genesis are natural events. Uh, they, they are things proceeding according to physical laws, like hydrogen coming together to form stars because it's collapsing under gravity, and it's happening in a natural fashion. Um, so there are only three events in the whole creation narrative that are supernatural in the sense that there is divine inter- interference uh, and, a, and a creation out of nothing. And those happen to correspond to the three unanswered questions in science with respect to our origins today. Um, so to, to correlate this to your question, because I'm not an expert on, on some of the subjects you're talking about, the, the, the creation narrative is telling us that we will understand most things through standard science because they were all cause and effect from the previous thing. Hydrogen became stars. Stars grouped together, galaxies, and so on. Uh, but there are three events we will never understand by applying the scientific method because they're just not within nature. They're outside of nature. And so that's what my research found in Genesis. Okay. All right, so what about the Epic of Gilgamesh and other ancient works that were around in the ancient times that are considered uh, next to the Old Testament to be some of the oldest works in our entire civilization's history as we know it? Well, I kind of just asked him that, but he didn't. But Gilgamesh, yeah, the, Gilgamesh, great heroes, and things like and that, giants, and all this business. Uh, is that you got into that at all? No, I didn't. Okay, well, that's a simple answer. No, there we go. Complicated <laughs> question. Okay, all right. There are, and I'm thinking back now, Daniel, to my years in the seminary, and there is a, uh, and again, I tend to, we, we tend to think like less like Westerners, more like more the Eastern mentality, which sort of 
brings things together rather than takes them apart. Western mm-hmm. science tends to take things apart. Uh, what exactly would you say to this? Um, I'm trying to think exactly how to how to put this. We um, maybe I shouldn't even ask the question. Hmm. All right. Well, anyway, do it. Okay. You won't. What? Uh, okay. I, I was trying right. to peer pressure right. Right. you into doing. Well, in it. the seminary, we, we essentially learned, and I was in the seminary of two different uh, churches: Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, which have kind of very, very opposing views more than most people would think on, on the way things are approached. Um, the idea is that the Bible is not meant for this kind of thing. That that's that's the contention. That unless you have grown up in the the culture and the tradition out of which the Bible came, uh, either Christian or Jewish, then you have no right to use the Bible in any way. Now, I'm not saying I believe that, but what would you say to someone who says the Bible isn't meant to be used to find codes and it isn't meant to to define scientific truths or even to point to scientific truths? So I, I, just, I don't necessarily agree with that, but what would you say to someone who asked you that question? Which you I know, believe I just did. Yeah, I, I, I obviously to to understand any work, it's important. To, even a scientific paper is important to understand the scientific method. Otherwise, you can't really understand uh, what's going on. That's what that's what you guys do. And you say, well, look, maybe there's a different way to to study things. So I I agree that that you can't just pick up the Bible from the shelf and just start to read it. You you have to have some context, but. At least in the Jewish tradition, uh, the Bible is supposed to be the blueprint for creation. So I, I have to be able to take that blueprint and match it up. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a blueprint. Okay. And if well, it's authentic, then it's right. It's got a match. Is it a blueprint or is it a recording of what occurred from an earlier blueprint? Uh, well, at least the, the, the creation account, which precedes humans is is a blueprint after that we can argue whether it's more of a history book yeah uh, well that, that that's the argument well I mean, don't get us wrong we, we greatly admire what you've done I, and i um lost a lot of this is new to me which isn't easy to do sometimes because i'm such an old goat I've been doing this for so long but um, oh, but you have a fantastic background for it well i don't know maybe uh okay so let's kind of get back to more to the to the book here uh how does this conflict we create between science and religion, how does it get in the way of our search for answers to ultimate questions? And there are plenty of ultimate questions. Yeah, I mean, that's the very interesting thing. So, you know, we, we have, uh, I think at the beginning we talked about science, religion, paranormal. We, we have different areas of expertise, which today we can't quite put together because we haven't figured them all out yet, but they all have something to bring to bear on the problem. So to just become a scientist and ignore everything else, you're only going to discover naturalistic things. And if, if all there was was naturalistic things, then you'd have all the answers. But I think we've proven that that can't be because we don't have all the answers. We have more questions than we've ever had. Yeah, we do. Um, so, you know, what, what happened in, in, in my book when I, when I was able to match up all the events, and it, now I had an agreement on what happened and when it happened, I then went back and I said, well, how does the Bible say it happened? Did it happen naturally? Or was the divine interference? And and what I found is that there were three areas where there was a divine um, interference, and those are actually the three unanswered questions in science. So by putting the two things together, 
this is pointing that we're going to have to take a different approach to understand some of those things because they weren't natural. And if we could take that approach, maybe we'd get a lot further. Yeah, I rather admire that because long ago I learned, and I, I think I, I, Ben probably might agree, that you can't divorce science and religion simply because you can't divorce God from reality. You can't divorce God from knowledge. Everything's intertwined. Right. It's not like God is somewhere else. So however you may define God, you know, he, she, it, or them, or not, none of the above, it is present. Everywhere, every when, conterminous with all space, coexistent with all time. You cannot avoid it. Well, it's hard to fathom such a concept too. in the West, especially. Yeah. Where we, but today, as I say, you know, that's why I said earlier. Today, we think an elementary particle is like that. Right. Mm. You know, a, a hundred years ago, scientists would have told you we were crazy. But today, an elementary particle can be influenced everywhere and all time. It's almost godlike in that in yeah. that sense. So it's the first day of school. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wh- what is, the, how much do you think our educational system and its and its insistence, at least up until now, on specialization, almost ultra-specialization, has harmed the search for the truth or the definition of reality or whatever you want to call it? In other words, people, people think very narrowly because of the specialization in education, in my opinion. Yeah, it's actually harming our, our progress a little bit. Um, because even within the realm of science, there's so much specialization, yet if you look at inventions, they always come from cross-fertilization. Oh, yeah, that's well put. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Of fields, so you know, we have a hard time. Like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, specialization is a problem. In fact, I just read in New Scientist last night that it's taking us so long to get up to speed on what's been uh, unearthed, discovered so far that, that uh, we have to we have to study for so much longer before we can actually invent something new. Now I think five years longer than fifty years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's starting to slow us down, but definitely specialization is required to to make the advances. On the other hand, if you don't put it all together, if you don't teach the majority of people how to integrate everything together, you're you're not going to move forward on the big answers. You're not even going to move forward on some innovation in science. That's a tall order. Yeah, it's hard. Well, I also feel like you can't divorce philosophy from science either, and that sort of goes with religion and the paranormal, and they all sort of uh, go full circle, if you will. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I, I think I think you need to look at these different fields of studies because they come at the problem from different angles, and until we figure out how to put all this together, we're going to have to come at it from different angles to, to get to the real answer. Indeed. So what is the biggest question facing society, and do you believe science and religion hold the answer? Well, you know, I, uh, my biggest question in society and, you know, my little survey is, you know, where did we come from? Um, and uh, uh, I certainly I think uh, uh, between science and religion we can get to that answer if we, if we use them both. If we use one or the other, you can't quite quite get to it so that, that's what I tried to do towards the end of the book to at least point people not provide them the answer but point people in, in, a, in a fruitful way to put the two together okay now here's a question that may be on the minds of some listeners we've described in this conversation very interesting and enjoyable conversation by the way with you uh, you've described the Genesis code as uh, identifying events in the past uh, in, in conjunction with, with what science has said There are many people who say that predictions of the future are also contained in Genesis and and in the Bible in general. Have you 
run into any hints of future events from your work? Yeah, I think you know. The, I think the the biblical timeline, which is part of the code, is pretty clear. Clear that uh, there is a, a messianic era coming. Not everybody's in agreement on exactly what that looks, but it looks different than today. And that is supposed to happen in the next couple of hundred years. And it's it's kind of a full circle back to Eden. So it's a bit closer to Eden than whatever we're in today. And uh, and there's certain events that have to happen uh, to get there. That, that is contained in the Bible. It's always been a a huge question for me because this whole philosophical question of of free will, which we all believe we have, we can make our own decisions, yeah. uh, seems to contradict uh, divine providence. So if the Bible contains the future, then there's divine providence because otherwise how do you get to the future? Yet we all have free will, so how can that be? But that has also been solved by quantum mechanics um, in yeah. the sense that you know, we can predict the outcome of a quantum mechanical experiment as if we were God. We can say, you know, when, when we do this experiment, this is what you're going to get. But we can't predict what each piece of the experiment will do. We can only predict what the total will do. So if we send a million electrons through a, through a hole, we can predict the pattern on the other side, but we cannot tell which each, where each electron is going to end up. So even built into nature, we, we have an ability to predict the future without predicting which each uh, particle, which I'm, um, I'm uh, you know, correlating to humans, will do. So uh, the Bible says the story will unfold. I can't tell you what you and me will do to make this happen, but eventually enough of us will come along that we will make the future happen, and, and, and that's the history that, that will happen. So in my third book, I'm going to explore that, but I'm just starting on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got one that was uh, due in '09. It's not these done yet. Take time. Oh, there was um, there was also the Human Genome Project, which was a big topic around here for a while with us. That um, the scientists found all these genes that they originally thought were useless, but it turns out that they seem more like coded messages that sort of suggests that we're not Homo sapiens, but Homo otterons, in which we need to worship something. Or it could be anything, in, in my opinion, because I remember telling this to somebody, and they're like, well, I don't believe in God. It's like, well, do you believe in something? Well, yeah. And it's like, yeah, see, you believe in something. What God don't you believe in? You know? Exactly. That sort of thing. And do you feel that comes into play with your work? Yeah, I think, you know, we, I think we discovered two things through the uh, Genome Project. Uh, the first thing is that originally people thought, well, you know, life kind of developed from simple to complex. Uh, but today we know that uh, DNA is incredibly complex, so whatever existed at the beginning was already complex. So yeah. um, that argues for something that's not quite explainable only by science. And the second thing I think studies have shown, I think what you're saying is that we're kind of born believers, that there's something built into us that looks towards a higher supernatural uh, cause for things that... Um, that we tend to call God, but everybody has a different image of, of what that is. Uh, yeah, that's. That, I think that's almost been proven scientifically now that, that we are built in uh, to do that, much like we design computers to take software from us so that you know we can tell the computer what to do instead of the other way around. Well, hence the results of the poll we opened the show with. Right. You know, um, Daniel, th- there's, uh, there's another question that arises in reference to the future predictions. Okay, we seem to have 
changed from predicting events, I shouldn't say predicting events, but, but uh, pinpointing past historical events with uh, predicting human events? What, 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 where's the, am I picking up a disjointedness that's not there? Or what, that was, does the, the prediction of this messianic era result in the same, by the same method by which you predict, you know, that you've identified the past events and their, their correlation in the Bible? No, it's slightly different because, you know, the past events are very clearly spelled out. You know, day four the sun was made and so on. The, the future events are more of, you know, when, when, when certain things have happened, then we will enter a new, a new era. So it, it, it is different, and that's why it's not dealt with in, in this book. But, uh, but I was answering your question, does, does the Bible look forward? Yes, it does. Yeah, okay. All right. We, um, we, we have, through various whatever, uh, our work is very strange and takes us... Uh, we believe into contact with a lot of strange things in the paranormal, and not just the usual ghosts and all this stuff that I don't think people understand what that's really all about. But we deal with a lot of um, things that might be put you in the realm of quantum mechanics, you know, multiple worlds, things of this kind. At least that's what we we think we're dealing with, and you know, for for many years now, uh, there seems to be some indication from our point of view that what you're saying may be correct in some way. So can you be more specific about the nature of this this messianic age or the um, timeline, any timeline that's involved? Yeah, I haven't uh, completed my research by any means on that, but the, the biblical timeline, and I, and I do use the biblical timeline to put all the events in context. The biblical timeline says that by the year 6,000, and we are today in that biblical timeline in the year 5773. So we're pretty close. Oh, the, oh, the, the uh, Hebrew year 6000. Yeah. The Hebrew year 6000, okay. which is kind of the Old Testament timeline. Right. Uh, so, uh, and so and we're 5773. By the year 6000, there will be some kind of change described as a messianic era. There's an argument about you know how much of that is spiritual, how much is physical. And so on, but there will be a, a definite, uh, definite change. That timeline is there, and it's analogous to going back into the Garden of Eden. So you know, in day six, Adam was kicked out after the sin from the Garden of Eden, and we've been trying to fix that problem ever since to get back in. Um, yeah. Well, the, the, according to the um, uh, Sumerians, he uh, bro- broke into the laboratory and stole something off the uh, <laughs> off the counters. I don't know. Um, tree of life, tree of knowledge, whatever. But in any case, I, I, I'm sure we'll all, we'll all see. Before we go any further, I want to give you, before we run out of time, I want to give you a chance, Daniel, to tell people again about the book, the website, where they can get it, and any promotion you'd like to engage upon, engage in. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, uh, you said it all. It's called the Genesis One Code. It's available on most online stores, including Amazon and iTunes and Kobo and so on. It's available on paperback. Amazon has the best price. Uh, it's available on all the ebook uh, formats in your favorite store. And if for some reason you can't find the format you want, uh, just go to my website, Genesis One Code One, not the number, but O N E, uh, Genesis One Code dot com, and and uh, and you'll find it there. Well, that that you know, funny you mention Amazon has the best prices. I uh, this is a bit off topic, but I uh, several years ago, uh, Ben and his brother and I went down to Birmingham, Alabama. I was invited to, to address the National Convention of Mensa. That's a long story, 
But uh, <clears throat> they, they, the boys set up a book stall in the back of the room, and the room was standing room only. You know, great talk, great questions at the end. But hardly anybody bought any books. As I've written, I've written three on this subject in recent years, and, and that's what we're, they were selling. But then the following week, uh, sales went to Pluto on Amazon. So the Mensons were smart enough to go to the cheaper prices on Amazon than what we were charging in the back of the room. So, yeah. so everybody, uh, check out the Genesis 1 code by Dan, Daniel Friedman. Uh, Dan, I wanted to uh, – so, so the, you're saying the, uh, the next book will deal with this future issue, right? No, my, you know, my, my, my first book, as we talked about, deals with kind of the timeline for the universe okay. and, and life, and it stops short of humans. So oh. the second book, which I'm almost done with, deals with humans, which are a complex thing, because as you know, there's all these, these uh, fossils of, of, of prior almost human-like uh, species and all this evidence. So I, I took, it took me a whole book to just deal with the whole correlation between science and religion about humans, which gets you into souls. Okay. Yeah. And, and so that's a complex subject. And then I'm going to go into the future. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the first book? I'm not familiar with that. Please. No, sorry. The Genesis book. One Code is what we've been talking about. Yes, yeah, so, uh, but there was a book before that. No, no. The second book deals with humans. So the Genesis One Code dealt with the whole universe. Oh, okay. I, I apologize okay. for being uninformed. Uh, no, no. That's, uh, nobody knows this. So that, you know, okay. I, I only got as far as animals in in the in the in the Genesis one code I went through the whole of all of cosmology and on all the evolution uh, but humans I decided was too big a topic to fit it in so I've made it a separate book that is not yet out well that I can understand okay very good yeah, we, uh, should, we should have you back on for the next book oh definitely let us know when that's uh, when then that's occurring okay you know, I, I'd love to that that's going to be you know more closer to some of the things you speak about because it it really all comes down to this this thing we call a soul uh, to make it all make it all work together. Well, we do have a few more minutes. So, uh, what what in your opinion is the soul? Well, if you go back to Genesis and you look at the story, it says that humans were made very much similar to animals. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're you know we all eat and sleep and, and procreate and have DNA and so on and so forth. But if you look at the human history, there's a point in history where we where science calls modernity human modernity where we started doing cave paintings and tools and and worshipping and so on which is quite hard to explain and when you correlate the timeless again with the bible that is the point in genesis where where uh, the soul was breathed into uh, this human that had been made similar to animals uh, so according to genesis it's a piece of the divine which gives us the ability to speak gives us the ability to envision the future, to learn from the past, and 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 all these things that have propelled uh, humanity uh, forward. Hmm. What it physically is, I don't know. It's funny, This and this is, again, maybe may a bit off topic, but we, uh, we've done some research with animals, and I've done simply, I was in a position to observe communities of animals for a long period in years past as part of the sort of paranormal research, I suppose. They seem to demonstrate respect for the divine. They seem in certain circumstances to have spiritualities, at least from what I could see, if you really take the time to look at them. Uh, are humans unique? Well, yes, in the, in, the, in the way that we speak, and we use that speech to put the past, the present, and the future together. You know, an, an animal will tell you, 
there's danger right now, but he won't sit down with his young and say, look, every time you come to a crosswalk, you've got to look both ways, and there's always cars and, and, and so on, and plan into <laughs> the future yeah. and yeah. learn from the past. So, and, and the Bible tells us where we're unique, and everybody says well, we're unique because we have morality and we're nice to people and so on. Baloney, and, you know, animals are nicer to other animals than sometimes we are to people. Sure. Uh, the, the things that we are unique about is we speak and uh, we have this ability to learn from the past, envision the future, plan, go to the moon. And we can plan going to the moon and achieve it 10 years later. Not The animals can plan about much, much closer in time. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's what the soul... Not that animals don't have souls. They have an animal soul. We have an animal soul that drives us to eat and to sleep and to stay alive. But there's an extra component that uh, gives us this ability to envision the future and to uh, to speak. Very interesting. Well, Daniel, uh, we're pretty much out of time here. I wanted to thank you for a very interesting and wide-ranging conversation. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Um, we'll be in touch off the air and uh, keep track of when your next book's coming out. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Okay. Hey, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, very good. Uh, again, everybody, the Genesis 1 Code by Daniel Friedman with two ends. I'm big on the two end thing because I'm used to Stan Friedman, the UFO expert, only has one end. So just to make the distinction there. Yes. Uh, how much time we have there? Oh, uh, about four minutes. Okay. There might be time for one issue that keeps coming up in our emails, and we're doing an open line show on CBS next week on Sunday, and we'll deal f- perhaps f- more fully with this. But uh, my notes here just simply uh, th- there. A number of people, increasing numbers of people who seem to be having what we refer to as multiverse experiences. In other words, they're, I don't think it's just because they're listening to us, but the nature of reality. They're starting to notice it more. People are starting to notice it more. There are a lot of strange electromagnetic energies out in the, in the galactic neighborhood lately. That's just nothing special. Well, maybe it is special. I don't know, but things are, are happening that are creating a lot of um, what seem to be space-time issues. A lot of people feel that time is speeding up. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, that often happens as you get older anyway, but people are saying of all ages are feeling that time is speeding up. We've had people on the show about that, uh, including a physicist. And why that is seems to be because these electromagnetic fields that are, that are blasting through the, the area seem to be manipulating time a little bit, maybe even manipulating space a little bit, causing, in our belief these parallel worlds that we feel are responsible for paranormal phenomena to blend more readily, more easily. And we are, our brains seem to be a little bit more up to detecting these differences. Uh, so people are concerned about this. There is another word that comes into play, and that's the word schizophrenia, because when you start seeing things and hearing things and time starts getting fluky and you feel extremely detached, sometimes that can uh, be an issue that is judged to be uh, psychosis of some kind. Well, having worked in mental hospitals uh, many years ago as a student and as a student for the priesthood, I just wasn't too sure about that. So we're going to talk more about that on our show on Sunday on CBS uh, Radio. In uh, Just look at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, for where that is and all that business. And we'll see if we can answer some of these concerns that people are having who are starting to have these experiences. Yeah, but in the meantime, we have a few announcements, or, well, just one big one. So my dad and I will be featured speakers at the All Hallows' Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island, on Sunday, October 28th, uh, two weeks from now. And watch for more info on those events and more at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Don't forget about all our free podcasts on there as well. 
And we will be appearing three times uh, that day in Warwick, the last one being at 4.30, and we'll have to skedaddle out of there to make our, our evening show uh, that night. But we will uh, be there uh, at the Crown Plaza, and check behindtheparanormal.com for that, and also the Psychic Fair website, which we will put on uh, a link on the website for. Uh, stay tuned for news of Necronomicon Providence, the HP Lovecraft Convention, set for August 23rd, 25th, 2013 in Providence. We'll be keeping you updated on that. Uh, again, our website's BehindTheParanormal.com and NewEnglandGhosts.com. You can see all sorts of articles, guests, past, present, and future. Uh, you can buy my books, subscribe to our newsletter, or you can even apply to be a show reporter on the site. And there are, of course, as Ben said, 400 podcasts or more at this point. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself. And next week, October 22nd, we'll welcome author Winfrey, not Oprah Winfrey, but Winfrey, to talk about channeling. And the person he thinks is the reincarnation of Edgar Casey, stuff we've never talked about before. Awesome. We'll so on our regular CBS... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, uh, yes, we'll, we'll have a, a few, few pungent, pungent questions, questions yeah. on that one. So on our CBS Radio Edition on October 21st, we will have an open line show, as we just mentioned. So get those emails in. You can get those emails at our website, www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you this evening with a thought from American author and scientist George Washington Carver. How far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong. Because at some point in your life, you will have been all of these. So thanks for sailing with us on a great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.